I'm speaking to Jenna Contino. Jenna is a graduate of the University of South Carolina who reports on local government for the Charlotte Observer. She has also covered gentrification and affordable housing for the Greenville News and growth and development for the Spartanburg Herald Journal. As part of her reporting on public transportation in Charlotte, Jenna attempted the challenge of going car-free in Charlotte for a week. So I wanted to start by talking about your background. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Rock Hill, South Carolina, so a suburb of Charlotte, where I actually report now and have lived and worked in South Carolina my whole career until I joined The Observer in May of this year. What was your experience of growing up in Rock Hill like? I would say it was a typical East Coast suburban experience. Like my parents always had a car. We didn't really have like this dense urban city that I now live in in Charlotte. But yeah, I would say I grew up pretty middle class. My dad actually worked in Charlotte and commuted in his car to get there. But I didn't go far for college. I went to the University of South Carolina, had to get the in-state tuition and really kind of found how I could make a difference in local journalism in my own community where I grew up. Where did that interest in journalism really start? So it probably started, I joined my high school paper. I went to South Point High School in Rock Hill, and I did the literary magazine there first, and then the student newspaper. And I didn't know at that point I wanted to go into journalism. I grew up doing classical ballet, which was a completely different thing, and was training for that and thought I would go on to dance in college or go on to dance professionally. And that obviously did not work out because I'm not doing that right now. So when I got to college and kind of realized, okay, I'm I'm not going to be a professional, like what other career path should I go down? And I was like, well, I did my paper. I'll try out journalism. I can change my major if I want. And then I joined the Daily Gamecock, which is our student paper at USC and started in arts and culture because I could cover things like ballet and things I was passionate about and moved into news reporting and went on to be editor of the paper there. And that's when I was like, yeah, I guess this is going to be my career now. Was it a goal of yours to eventually end up reporting in Charlotte? So not Charlotte necessarily, because I've almost always thought about Charlotte as home. Like I wanted to get out of South Carolina and North Carolina. So when I first started in the journalism world, I was like, oh, I'd love to write cover stories for Rolling Stone or work for Vogue. Like I was really into that arts and culture world. And then I had a professor at USC who had worked for the Wall Street Journal and taught me a lot about business reporting, fiscal reporting, and I kind of learned the importance of that. And then through my first job, the Greenville News hired me as an intern, and I really, truly saw firsthand the value of local journalism and just actually getting call from readers and saying like, hey, thank you, this story about this road closure like really helped me. Something that seems really small, but I know that I'm helping my neighbors. I found a passion through that, I guess you could say. And Charlotte was a bigger paper, bigger metro, and it was kind of like the next step for me in my career. But it was, like I said earlier, kind of like a homecoming, like I'm seeing people, I'm closer to my family. And so I'm happy here for now and definitely have found a love for local journalism. How does being a native of the Charlotte area impact your reporting, do you think? I can say for firsthand experience, I mean, while the county's talking about adding toll lanes to I-77 South. Like my dad rides on that interstate every day to get to work still. So it's kind of like when I went to Greenville and was reporting on affordable housing there, I had to learn the housing sphere. I had to learn how their transit system worked because I had never lived there. With Charlotte, like I remember when the light rail opened and like people would park and ride the light rail into the convention center. And that was a big deal because 
Charlotte had never had commuter rail like that before. I think that was in like the early 2010s when I was in high school. And so kind of seeing Charlotte grow as I grew up and now seeing it for what it is, it's just been kind of cool to really grow with the city and have that background in this job. Was it hard to commit to going into reporting for a newspaper at a time when newspapers have been shrinking? I would say it was definitely harder to get a job than it would have been, say, 20 years ago. I mean, I've talked to a lot of Observer alums, and they talk about times when the newsroom had 200 people. And now I don't know how many reporters we have off the top of my head, but not that many. And yeah, I mean, I used to work for Gannett, which owned the Greenville News and the Spartanburg Herald Journal, and they've done how many rounds of layoffs in the past few months? So it really is an uncertain career to have. I have enough job security where I think they'll want to always have a local government reporter, even if we get down to a bare bones stuff. So I'm not too necessarily worried for myself. And I still believe in the value of journalism and media, but it's interesting how these hedge fund owned newspapers are changing the local government scene. And I feel like we're going to have to come to a reckoning eventually. And how does your experience of being a reporter in Charlotte affect your experience of living in Charlotte? One, I've become a public transit nerd, a housing nerd. Like I know so much random stuff about zoning that I accidentally bring up to my friends who are not reporters and they're like, okay, like no one knows what you're talking about, but all right, that's kind of a joke, but it's pretty cool. I'm at every city council meeting. I'm at every county commission meeting. And so I get to see like upfront how this affordable housing project got created. And so when I drive by, I actually know what decisions went into having that built. So I think it really makes me an informed citizen. I mean, the project I did recently where I went a week without my car to kind of test out Charlotte's transit system, I figured out that I want to get a bike and I want to start commuting by bike. That's something I probably wouldn't have decided to do if I wasn't doing that through my work. That was actually the project that I saw that really made me aware of your reporting. What was the motivation for undertaking that project and doing the reporting on that? That part of the project, it was part of a bigger series. And one of the stories in that series was a guest column written by a guy I met who found one of my other stories and just reached out and asked to get coffee named Chris Wallace. And he doesn't own a car. He doesn't have a license, but he works. He lives in North Mecklenburg County, which is the county Charlotte's in, and either takes his electric bike, his e-bike or the bus to get to work or uptown. And I met with him probably more than 10 times and just like really heard his concerns about the bus system and bike infrastructure or the lack thereof. And just was really interested by it and started talking like, okay, what solutions would make your life easier? And we just kind of came up with three story ideas from that. And I knew I wanted to experiment with some way where it was either like, oh, I'll drive from the top point of the county to the bottom point and then go the same length with only using transit and compare the time or like something where I could do a video. We weren't sure what to do. And then I was like, well, I'm writing about these people that fall within the margins that don't own a car in a city where success is often determined by if you have a car or not, because it's not really that transit friendly. So why don't I put that to the test and see how it affects my day-to-day life? And so I told my editors, hey, give me extra time to get to where I need to be during this week because I'm going to try out without my car. And I mean, I had ridden the bus and light rail before. I do live pretty close to uptown and parking here is like $25 minimum. So I don't want to do that. So I'll take the light rail in. So I kind of had some experience with transit. So I wasn't just coming in blind and like having to figure out the bus system entirely. 
But I'm so glad I did. That story ended up becoming the centerpiece to that project. And it was the one that really resonated with people, I think. What were some of the reactions that really stood out to you from that story? Yes. So there was mostly reactions from people who also take transit who were like, oh my gosh, yes, like transit does suck. Like, I'm glad you did this. And then other people saying like, oh, it was really cool to see this from this perspective. But some of the critiques I got were that my approach was ableist, which I mean, to each their own, but I tried to make it clear that I was going into this with privilege and that there was one of the days in that story where I had like emergency dental work I needed done and I had to get to South Carolina. So I had to take my car and I got some emails that were like, oh, boo-hoo, like you had a backup. Like if that happened to me and I don't own a car, I would have had to figure something out, which is totally fair. And I tried to acknowledge that and respond to those people. And those critiques will lead me to reporting more on disability access and transit in Charlotte. I mean, our sidewalk system isn't even complete and that can change up someone's route if you're in a wheelchair and you can't get over a curb. So that is important. And I'm glad it was pointed out to me. One thing that's helpful with Charlotte is because the light rail system is relatively new. Fortunately, it's completely accessible, whereas a lot of cities don't have that with their rail systems. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I mean, I have family that lives in New York City, so I would say that's the other public transit system I'm relatively familiar with. And I always think about like some of the older subway systems and like when you're at a stop and it's just like, oh, elevator's out of order. Like, what do you do? And yeah, Charlotte is lucky. It was in the like 2010s, I think, or early 2000s when they started. So there was those ADA requirements. So what are some of your main takeaways from that week of not using your car more than you absolutely had to? My main takeaway is that the bus system is so confusing, mostly because the app like doesn't always sync up with like your Google Maps app. And sometimes they change routes last minute or like a driver will take a lunch break and that's not reflected in the app. And so you're waiting forever for your bus and you just don't know until you call customer service. So that was probably my main gripe and the main thing I heard from most people One takeaway is that I do have an extreme privilege. Like I was able to finish this week and say, yeah, I'm scared to cross a six lane highway to get to my job. Like I'm going to keep using my car to get to work. And yeah, mostly that I want to get a bike because I feel like that would kind of help me for those in-between trips. And I live pretty close to, we call it uptown in Charlotte because we try to be fancy, but our downtown area. And I've just like had a great response from like the cycling community to the story I wrote. I had so many people just saying like, hey, I have this fixer upper bike. Do you want it? Like, no, I can't take your bike. But everyone's just been so nice. And so I'm excited to just like try different things and keep figuring out the best transit options. It's interesting too, because one of the things that I've noticed in Charlotte is that if you're going somewhere that's say like both places are along the light rail line, for example, then it's really simple. But if you have to get somewhere that's way off of that, it's just really tricky to find transit options in Charlotte. Right, it is. And Charlotte is, they do have, Big plans for some more rapid transit corridors, so commuter rail, extending the light rail, and making sure there's like a north-south and an east-west line. Like I talked about in my stories, that those are kind of far in advance, and we're not really focusing on filling those with high-speed bus or anything in the meantime. And that's kind of been some of the main complaints we've seen. Because yeah, I live close to a neighborhood called Noda, North Davidson. And that's like known as one of the areas like along the light rail because it goes kind of north-south. And I have to walk at least 15 minutes to get to my light rail stop. 
and I'm passing where people are accelerating onto the interstate. So I'm like, if I accidentally step off the sidewalk, I could die. So I don't necessarily feel super safe doing that all the time. And there is a bus stop right outside of my apartment, which is super convenient. But I think for a lot of the people who young 20-somethings that get a banking job and move to Charlotte, they're more likely to take that shiny new light rail to get to their office building because it's on their way than to take the bus elsewhere. How is Charlotte in terms of having neighborhoods that you can walk to, things like a grocery store or a pharmacy, restaurants, things like that? So my neighborhood does not have a grocery store, which is actually insane to me. I mean, it's definitely gentrified where I'm living, but like even before that and even now, there might be talks of having a grocery store, but there's nothing. I have to go uptown if I want to buy groceries, but like I would say Charlotte has a really big like restaurant community, like breweries, lots of trendy type things like that. But for sure, I don't know if food desert is still the correct term, but my neighborhood definitely is one. And I know a lot of the poorer areas in like West Charlotte and East Charlotte, they're lacking a lot of those transit options, grocery stores, just things you need to live. I think Charlotte still has a long way to go in some neighborhoods. You mentioned gentrification. Have you noticed that there's any correspondence between where there's good transit and where gentrification is happening in Charlotte? Yeah, I would say a prime example for that is South End, which is kind of like the south part of Uptown and then a little more south. But it was kind of like they built the light rail and people came. Whether you call that gentrification or not, I mean, I don't know statistics of the actual displacement in that area. But you can definitely see those trendy type CBD stores and breweries and bars that are popping up that you see in kind of that textbook gentrification in the South End. And it's mostly younger, white, affluent people that are moving to that area. I'm curious too, in talking to people like Chris, besides some of the things you've already mentioned, how did that really open your eyes to what it's like to live as someone who doesn't drive in Charlotte? Yeah, I would say the best example for that is something I wrote about in the column when me and Chris were waiting on a bus and we got left on the side of the road twice, actually. And we both realized in that moment, like we don't have an option. And for me, I was like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And of course, I took an Uber and he rode his bike to where we needed to go next. But for him, that's something that he has to figure out all the time. Like, oh, I have to bike this 10 miles because my bus didn't come. So that's something I definitely took away from it. And also just like how not having a car limits what he can do. Like we would always meet at a coffee shop that was near a bus stop for him where he wouldn't have to make a transfer because that's just a lot in Charlotte. And he'd be like, okay, well, I have to be in Uptown at this time. Let me go ahead and plan to meet you at this time. It was kind of like he had to make his schedule around the transit system. So that was definitely eye-opening as well. Yeah, it really strikes me in Charlotte how you can't just show up at a bus stop and expect a bus to be there in a timely manner. Right, yeah. And I will say some of that is due to cut frequency during COVID. And whether you call it the great resignation or whatnot, having a lack of employees, they cut more services in this past summer, the summer 2022. And they have reinstated three express bus routes, but there's still a lot of 30-minute in between times that used to be 10 or 20 minutes and things like that. When you were talking about the plans for building more rail lines within Charlotte, do you have a sense of how far along those plans are? Not far at all. The blue line is the main light rail that's already in existence. That shouldn't be as hard to extend because 
Charlotte's already seen the success of it. The other counties that would extend to really want that transit. And I don't think they need that additional transit tax. The main thing right now for kind of the red line and the silver line, which are the commuter rail and another light rail they want to build, is they don't have the funding to do it. They need to either implement another penny sales tax, half cent sales tax to fund that or find some other options. And whether that's expanding your bond capabilities, borrowing in municipal bonds, because the voters just passed a referendum, I think is 142 million for transportation. But I mean, when you're looking at rail, that's almost nothing. It's like transit can become a billion dollar issue very fast. And the other issue is the red line, which is the commuter rail they wanna build. They wanna build it along a Norfolk Southern line. And Norfolk Southern has a lease through another 10 years, and they do not want to let Charlotte use that line. I think it's a deal where way before I got here, Norfolk Southern gave them the okay. Leadership change, new leadership was like, you know what, never mind. We don't want you guys to use our line, even though we only have a few trains that run on it very infrequently. And the county officials have told me this until Norfolk Southern budgets, like that project is dead in the water. And I've asked council members this before, like, is it misleading to even like start the design process for this project if you don't know if you can do it yet. And I've gotten some mixed responses for that, where they want to be ready and have a design. So if they do allow for it, you can start building or start using it. But at the same time, you don't want to get voters on board and say, hey, this is coming by 2030, when it's definitely not going to be. Seems that that's a common theme in this country, too, of freight railroads not wanting to allow passenger service like that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it kind of ties in with what we're seeing nationally with the Biden Build Back Better. I mean, that's a very ambitious rail plan with Amtrak. And that's something we won't see for still, I don't remember, I reported on this at least like 2027. But yeah, I can't even imagine the behind the scenes that went on, went into planning that. In closing, do you have any upcoming reporting that you're planning on doing on these topics? Yeah, I'm always reporting on transit and housing. I think definitely I want to do a story just more on disability in transit and really talk to some disabled folks in Charlotte about their experience. So if anyone's listening that lives here <laughs> and wants to talk, please reach out. But definitely want to do some stories on the effects of corporate rentals and housing in Charlotte and how things like Airbnb are affecting the housing market. So I have some things I'm working on that'll definitely be published by the end of the year. That all sounds really interesting. Well, thank you for taking time to talk today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much.